coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. Right now, guys, you can still take advantage of our exclusive promo deal with MyBookie just by going to MyBookie.ag. If you're a brand new user, use our promo code UGA and you'll get a 50% bonus on your first deposit You've had a chance to see all these teams now, at least a lot of these teams at this point, so you know who's good, you know who's bad. Now it's time to put that knowledge to the test and make some cash with that just by going to mybookie.ag and again using our promo code UGA. But all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and the Glory UGA Mailbag is back with a fury this week. Last week, had to admit, I put the call out late for questions. It was Labor Day. I was out doing things. You guys are out doing things. And we had a baby seal that we were beating up on in week one. So there just weren't as many questions coming in as we normally get for a game week. But oh, did the floodgates open this week. The questions came pouring in. And I've done my very best, guys. I've tried very hard over the past couple of days to sift through them because there were a lot of them. And there's definitely some common themes and some overlap questions. And I know I say this every year, but it merits saying again, so I'm going to say it once more for a lot of our new listeners out there. I do sincerely apologize if I ask a question and you're like, wait, I asked the exact same question. That's going to happen. I I know that there are a lot of questions that were very similar, a lot of overlap questions. So if I don't use your name for an official question, I, I promise I saw it, but when there are those kind of overlap questions... I just try to go with the first one that was sent in on that topic. At least when I sift through it, I try to make sense of which one was sent in first because some come in on email, some come Instagram, some come Twitter. So I try to make sense of all of them and try to figure out which ones came in first and try to be as fair about it as I possibly can. I assure you guys, I love each and every one of you. I'm so appreciative of all of you being here each and every episode during the football season, during the off season. I appreciate it. So I promise you, I'm not playing favorites. I just want to put that out there. We've had some feelings get hurt in the past, and I just I want you to know that's absolutely not my intent. We just have a lot of very similar questions, and I don't want to read every single one of them because it would be about 100 questions, and no one wants to listen to me just read question after question after question when they are basically the exact same questions. So there's that. And we'll get to those questions here in just a minute. We've got a lot to get to today, so I don't want to spend too much time with this, but I just want to say a quick thank you for a couple of reasons. Number one, thank you guys. The numbers are in. We told you last month that July, this July was the biggest July that we've ever had in the nine-year history of the Glory UJ podcast. And now the numbers are officially in. August is definitely the biggest August that we've ever had in the nine-year history of the Glory UJ podcast. And that only happens because of you guys. You are the diehards who want hardcore Georgia football talk that we try to give you each and every week. You are our extremely loyal listeners, and we just are so appreciative of that. I just want to make sure you know that. I know I say that from time to time, but when the numbers go up like they have over the past couple of months, I also know that we're getting a lot of new listeners, and I want to make sure that everyone, old, new, all listeners, just know how much we appreciate you guys. We truly do this show for you because we, you know, back in the day, we started this podcast, as I've said many times, because 
we were diehard fans and there was nowhere we could get the kind of content that we were looking for. All the content was just like, you know, for the run of the mill average fan who just kind of showed up when it was football season and kind of went into hibernation the rest of the year. And that's not us. And we know, we knew there were a lot of people like us out there. So we wanted to try to put some content out there for people like you. And it's just, it's really great to know that you guys are, are enjoying what we're doing. It's really awesome to have this community of diehard Georgia fans. You guys might think I'm crazy. You might think I'm insane. You might think I'm weird. And I am all of those things. So you might not have anything in common with me outside of Georgia football, but we all shared this in common. And it's a beautiful thing. And we're really appreciative of that, guys. I also want to give a shout out to a couple of specific listeners for five-star ratings and reviews that have come in over the past week or two. Randy Holbrook, thank you, my friend. Really appreciate it. 81 Third Kid, a really, really kind review. I really appreciate that. Let's see who's up next here. We've got Hope Cantrell, I really appreciate that. Hope, I know you've been around for a long, long time, and I'm very, very thankful that you stuck with us, and I really appreciate your kind words. And the same goes for Tiffany. Tiffany's been listening for a really long time. I know you lady listeners are out there, and we very, very much appreciate you. So Tiffany, Hope, 81 Third Kid and Randy greatly, greatly appreciate the very kind words. And Trent, I don't remember. I know, Trent, you sent one in in July. I can't remember if I gave you a shout out. So I'll throw it out there anyway. Even if I gave you a shout out back a couple of weeks ago, I'll give you one again. Trenton Rhodes sending in a, a really, really nice review as well. Thank you guys for that. I really appreciate it. We kind of got one star bomb when I put that video out on our YouTube channel about why Georgia has kind of been kryptonite for Tennessee. And the Tennessee fans, of course, you know, very sensitive these days, I guess always. And they didn't like that so much, even though I was, I feel like I was really, really complimentary of their program and where they are right now and where they're heading, but they didn't see it that way. So they kind of one-star bombed it. So I really appreciate you guys who are here each and every week throughout the entire year coming and helping out and uh, hitting us up with those five-star ratings and reviews. So thank you for that. And if you haven't had a chance to give us one of those five-star ratings and reviews, it would be incredible if you could find a minute or two to do that. And the reason that's so important is it just helps this podcast grow. It helps us continue to be able to bring the content that we bring you. I know a lot of you new listeners, you're kind of looking for some Georgia content. You probably saw whether it's Spotify or Apple Pods, whatever you're listening to us on, you probably were scrolling through and looking at the ratings and the reviews. And that might've been one of the reasons you decided to give us a shot. And and here you are, you're still around. So it really, really does help guys. And uh, yeah, we just, we really appreciate it. But all right, enough of that stuff. Let's go ahead and get to these mailbag questions because there are a lot of them. And the first five questions, I'm going to be honest with you guys, they're, they're not the same questions. They're similar. They're all basically regarding the same thing. The general theme we got from this week's questions was, what is going on with the running game right now? In fact, we got so many questions on that, it has inspired me to try to put together a YouTube video this week detailing visually with actual game tape what's going on in the run game. I'm working on that actively right now. I'm hoping to get that out to you guys by Wednesday. That's my hope. But between doing four episodes a week, writing for Dogs Daily, uh, my yeah full-time day job, and trying to do YouTube, there's a lot going on this time of year for me. I love it. I love every second of it. I love football season. This is what I live for. But I'm trying to carve out enough time to get that video done for you guys. So I'm trying for Wednesday. If, it does, if it's not out by then, I apologize, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I promise. But anyway, the running game. That is what everyone seems to be concerned about. At least a lot of people seem to be concerned about. So the first, really the first five or six questions here are regarding the run game in some way, shape, or form. And we're going to start with a question from Alexander. I also want to give a shout out to Tucker. Tucker had a very similar question. I just, I think Alexander's question came in first. So Tucker, I appreciate it, man. I'm not trying to ignore you. I promise. But Alexander asked, how do you think we can improve the running game? It seems like we cannot get consistent push even against inferior teams 
like UT Martin and Ball State. Is this a play calling issue? Are we just keeping vanilla? Did Darnell Washington mean that much to the running game? Great question, Alexander. I think the, the answer is really kind of all of the above. And I'm going to be entirely honest with you guys. I did a video last week on our YouTube channel explaining why I have no concerns really about Carson Beck. The only concern I have about Carson Beck is how is he going to perform in a hostile environment like Auburn in a couple of weeks? Because we haven't seen that. But I've seen enough from Carson Beck in Athens to tell me that this guy is going to be very good for us this year. Is he going to be a Heisman Trophy caliber guy? I mean, I'm not going to say that. I need to see more against higher level competition, but I've seen him make checks. I've seen him put the ball on the money. I've seen him go through progressions and make the right reads. He hasn't been perfect, but again, guys, like we hold our quarterbacks to some impossible standard. And I know that's what fans of pretty much every fan base do, but no quarterback is perfect. Carson has been very, very good for us in his first two starts. And I know the level of competition has not been great. I understand that. But he's doing things that will translate to the higher levels of competition, going through your reads, progressions, putting the ball in the right spot. All those things, it's not just going to change when we play South Carolina. Yeah, they might do some different things from a coverage standpoint, but Carson's been around a long time. He understands that stuff. So I'm not worried about the passing. I'm really not at all. I know some people still are. That's fine. I personally am not, as I've been very consistent saying over the past two weeks. The running game, however, that's a very different story. I have some very serious concerns and I don't call them existential concerns, but they are very serious concerns because you guys know how our offense works. Yes, of course we throw the football. You know, I I laid out during the offseason, we did our scout enemy episode for Tennessee. We actually threw the ball more than Tennessee did last year. I think the average college football fan would would call BS on that if you just said that straight up. But if you put the numbers, it's true. We throw the football. But, but the identity of our offense is still very much a physical downhill rushing attack. We want to establish that and everything that we do at the passing game really comes off of that. And if we are not able to pose the type of threat that we typically do with the ground game that forces teams to respect what we do on the ground, that is going to change how they defend us. And if that changes how they defend us in terms of not necessarily bringing guys in the box, because everyone we play, guys, they are rolling people down in the box. If they don't have them in the box of the snap, they are triggering hard downhill off of run action. And if we cannot run the ball well enough to threaten them and convince them that they need to do that and defend us that way, that is going to make it far more difficult for Carson Beck and our passing game. And Alexander, you are correct. If we are having trouble running the football with consistency between the tackles against the likes of UT Martin and Ball State, that is a problem because those are, I mean, almost certainly the two rush def- two worst rush defenses that we will face all year long, and especially in terms of personnel. That is not okay. We have got to find a way to run more efficiently and not just efficiently. As I said earlier in the week, we also have to find a way to be more explosive in the run game. That's something that we haven't had a ton of since DeAndre Swift. Kenny gave us a little bit of that, and so did James Cook at times in his final season, that 2021 National Championship season, but it's still not what it was. Like we had Nick and Sony and and DeAndre Swift, and I know those are NFL backs. I get that. It's a different kind of animal, but we need to get that back into our offense, and right now, there are issues, and it's not just one thing. It's it's really, it's everything you mentioned, Alexander, and, and a couple of more things. I'll start with Darnell Washington. Yes, Darnell Washington not being on this team is giving us some issues. Oscar Delp is a really talented football player, but he is not built 
to do the things that Darnell Washington did for us. That's not what Oscar Delp is going to, that's not the strength of his game. That's not what he's going to give us on a consistent basis. I'm not saying he cannot block. He can. He just doesn't do it anywhere remotely as well as Darnell Washington does. And of course he doesn't. He's not six foot eight, 280 pounds. Like that's not what he's going to do. And we're not using Oscar exactly like we used Darnell, but we're using him in a pretty similar fashion. And that's just not going to work out as well. Like if we're going to use Oscar Delp in the same way or a very similar way that we used Arnell Washington, our run game very simply is not going to be as good as it was last year, especially when Branson Robinson's not playing this year out with an injury and we don't have Kenny McIntosh. Kendall Milton's you know going on one hamstring essentially. Dejan Edwards hasn't been out there. He's going to get back out there. But when you look at the running back situation, if you don't have Darnell Washington, I guess you can kind of mitigate that. If you are elite at running back, we are not. That's that's not the case right now. We are not elite at running back. Let's just call call it what it is. We are not special at that position right now. So not having Darnell Washington and not, I would say not being as good as we were running back last year, at least through the first couple of games, not having Dejan Edwards, Kendall Milton's not fully healthy. I know he's had trouble staying healthy his entire career. We all know that, but no, no Kenny McIntosh, no Branson Robinson. You have Roger Robinson back there as a true freshman, but I, I mean, I think he can be a good back. I don't know if he's ever going to be an elite back. He hasn't shown me that yet. Andrew Paul still clearly not close to being 100% coming off the ACL injury. So yeah, not having Darnell is a problem because what Darnell would do, I mean, he would essentially just wash down an entire side of the line of scrimmage. I mean, that's more or less what this guy would do at times. Also on the perimeter, with our perimeter run game, our perimeter screen game, it's been effective enough, but it has been as effective. There were two plays. I mentioned it on the recap episode, two plays back to back in the first quarter where CJ Smith missed a block out wide uh, on a a throw to Brock Bowers. That was for a three yard game. Brock's only catch of the day, which is crazy. And Arian Smith missed one, uh, a pass to Dominic Lovett, which I think could have been a touchdown. You have Dom one-on-one with the safety from Ball State. And I like Dom's chances there to make him miss and go 50 plus for a touchdown. Last year, that would have been Darnell Washington in at least one, if not both of those situations. And uh, yeah, Darnell's making that block. So I do think part of this, honestly, and you guys know I'm a Mike Bobo guy. I believe in Mike Bobo. I don't even want to call me a Mike Bobo guy. I just, I believe he's better than what people give him credit for. And I think he's going to do a good job with our offense. But I do think part of this is schematic. As I look at what we're doing, I get what we're doing. It's it's very similar. Kirby spent all spring saying this, like, hey, what we're doing is very similar. There's a lot of carryovers, same terminology. And you can look at it. It's not the exact same. It's not an exact carbon copy of what we were doing under Todd Munkin. But his fingerprints are all over it. It's very similar to what we saw under Munkin with the concepts we're running, the formations that we're using, the motions that we're using. All those things are very similar. And I understand why we are going about that, at least to open the season. However, schematically, here's what I would advocate. I know that we have this incredible tight end room. I know that we do. And I'm not saying that we can't have 12 personnel, have two tight ends out there on the field. I think that we need to spread the field more and get away from some of these condensed for like these heavy packages where we have two tight ends, like basically like two H-backs more or less, or you have Delp in line and you got Brock playing H-back. I think we need to get away from those formations. I'm not saying completely abandon them. I'm saying let's just reduce the number of snaps that are in those formations. And here's why. If you have seven blockers in the box there, right? We have five offensive linemen. You add two tight ends. That's seven, right? Well, that means you need seven guys to do their job on any given run play. Because there's like they're gonna what the defense is gonna do when you have seven guys in the box, they're gonna respond and they're gonna try to outnumber us in the box or at least have even numbers. Usually even numbers, that you like our chances. The offensive wants even numbers. So they're gonna try to outnumber us, but you still need seven blockers to do their job. Because if one guy misses a block, that could blow up the entire play, which is kind of what we've seen 
through these first two weeks. It's not that everyone on every play is completely whiffing and blowing their assignment. It's usually one guy, whether it's Ernest Green, Xavier Trust, Amarius Mims at times, Oscar Delp at times. One guy is missing his block and it's blowing the play up in the backfield or at the line of scrimmage and it's limiting what we're able to do on the ground. So to me, I, you guys know, I tell you all the time, I'm not a math guy, but I, I can do the basic math, right? And to me, it's just simple math. If we remove the tight ends from the box and you're left with five offensive linemen and now you just need five blockers to do their job and to make their blocks as opposed to having seven, you have a better chance of doing that. Your odds improve. And I charted every single one of our runs with the first team offense from Saturday's game against Ball State and our best runs came when we had those looks. We were spreading the field and we were running two by two formations. And what I mean by that is two receivers on the left, two receivers on the right. And again, we have great tight ends. You can still have Oscar Delp and Brock Bowers on the field in those formations if you think they're better than, if they give you a better chance in the pass game than some of our receivers do. And you can also mix it up to where like we can go some more tempo. I would also like to see us do more tempo. We start to do a little bit more of that against Ball State. But if you run tempo like that, you can fluctuate from play to play with, you know, maybe those heavy formations on one play where you have an inline tight end and an H back. And the next play, you have them spread out wide. But we just need, in my opinion, to do more of spreading the field because that is going to take defenders out of the box. And when we have even numbers like that, when our offensive line sees a, situ- a situation like that, there's just few, there's less traffic in the box. There's more space. There's more room for the running backs to maneuver. There's fewer guys in the box that actually have to make a block. And I know that's somewhat antithetical to what we do offensively from an identity standpoint. But I think at this point, if you look at what we have, you know, we always, Kirby always talks about this. You have to adjust your scheme to the talent you have on hand. That's always, that's the old cliche of what makes a good coach is you fit your scheme around the players that you have. And right now, we simply don't have the players, in my opinion, to do what we have cons- what we have traditionally done, running the football, the way that we have traditionally done it. We do not have Darnell Washington. We have Oscar Dupp, who's a good player, but he's not Darnell Washington. He's missing blocks, guys. Like, he's getting beat. I mean, there are multiple plays. I have it all charted here. At least three plays. We just got whipped. And his guy made the play. So you don't have Darnell Washington. You don't have elite backs right now. They need more space to maneuver because they're having a tough time making people miss. So you want to remove guys from the box. There's fewer guys that they have to make miss. And another added benefit of clearing defenders out of the box by spreading the field is it's harder for them to do twists and stunts because there's not as many guys in the box. So they can't get as exotic. They can't get as crazy with the simulated pressure. They can't get as crazy with the twists and the stunts they're doing because they have to declare. They have to get other guys in the box to do that. If they get those guys in the box, you're spread out. You just throw the ball out to Brock Bowers or Arian Smith or Dominic Lovett, and you have a guy in space now that can go out and make a play. That's what I personally, from a scheme standpoint, think that we need to do. Now, are we going to do it? I mean, probably not. I don't know. I mean, these coaches are far smarter than I am. They know far more about football than I am. But that's what I would do. Sometimes I feel like coaching staffs get too committed to a specific scheme and what they do. Like they they give lip service to the idea of, oh, you know, we've got to fit our scheme around the talent that we have, but they don't always actually really do that. So schematically, that's the first thing that I would do. But let's get to some of the other issues. That's certainly not the only issue. That's just, you know, one of the one of the issues that I see here. And I mentioned it, running back is is a problem right now, guys. We're just not special there. We're not bad. We're just not good there. Not great. We're good-ish, fine-ish. But we're not making guys miss. That is a problem. You've got to make guys miss. There's a number of times, talking about scheme, I want to give Mike Bobo credit. There's a number of times that he schemed it up to where, and the lines blocked it up to where you get the running back one-on-one with somebody, whether it's a safety, a linebacker, or whatever, somebody at the second level. And the, the job of the running back in that situation is to make the guy miss. And we are not 
making anyone miss. Dylan Bell made a couple guys miss. Rod's made a guy here or there miss, but he's not doing it consistently enough. Kendall can't make anyone miss right now because Kendall's not 100% healthy. Love the guy. Appreciate him going out there and putting his body on the line right now, but he just can't do that right now. Dajan has got some wiggle. He's got some elusiveness to his game, but he hasn't been out there. I, I think that him hopefully getting healthy, getting back out there, if the MCL is good to go, that will help. But is Dajan an elite back? No. I mean, he's good. He's good. I'm really glad he's on our team. He's a valuable player. He's not elite, though. We know this. So that's certainly a problem. And I mentioned it before. I'll say it again. I watch a lot of college football, guys. I'm still actually right now. It's Tuesday night. I still have multiple college football games from Saturday to go back and watch. I, You guys know I DVR all of them. I'm weird. I, I do like a social media blackout. So if you don't see me tweeting and putting stuff on Instagram as much on a Saturday night is because I don't want to have spoilers. I want to watch these games on my own. I try to watch as many as I can. So I watch a lot of games and I'm sitting here watching all these games. I'm watching running backs just flat run people over, run with authority, run behind their pads. And we're not doing that. I was watching, you know, watching the Texas game, the Texas Alabama game. The backs from both teams, I thought did a really good job of running with authority. I watched the Purdue Virginia Tech game. I just got done watching that game last night. I had a little money on that one, so I had to watch that one. There was like a five and a half hour rain delay or weather delay, uh, but watch that one. They, Purdue's got this guy named Devin Mockabee. Dude runs like an animal. He's not nearly as talented as the guys that we have, but he runs like he is a freaking monster. Our guys are not doing that right now. When they get hit, they're going down. I mean, there's like Roger Robinson with his size should not be going down as soon as a cornerback just touches his legs, which is what's happening right now. A cornerback should not be able to take Roger Robinson down one-on-one and just kind of like knock Roger over as soon as he touches him. That should never happen. Rod has got to grow more authority. That's got to happen. Like Rod is never going to be an elite speed guy. He's never going to be an elite acceleration guy. He is a power back. That's what he brings to him. He's got good feet for a big guy. I'll give him that, but... His greatest value is his size and what should be great power. He's not running with great power right now. He's not maximizing what he should maximize and what should be his greatest strength. That's not going to cut it. He's got to run harder. I think Kendall's actually running hard considering the the, uh, the injuries he's dealing with right now. He's moving the pile some, so I'll give him some credit. But Rod's not really doing that. Cash Jones is a small guy. He's not really doing it right now. Andrew Paul's not running big, but I mean, he's coming back. He's tentative coming off the ACL injury, but... We just gotta we gotta find some people that are gonna break tackles, make people miss, and that's not happening right now. So that is a concern, and that's gonna bring me to a, the next question we have about Dylan Bell. Should we use him? We'll get to that just in a second. But I do also want to mention the offensive line. We cannot talk about the the run game issues without t- talking about the offensive line. There are problems there, guys. It's not a, an every play thing. It's, again, like I said earlier, it's not like every single player or multiple guys are missing blocks multiple plays. Sometimes it's multiple guys on on the same play missing their block, but usually it's one guy here or there. The two biggest culprits are both on the left side of the offensive line in Ernest Green and Xavier Truss. Ernest Green's more understandable. He's a first-year starter. He's a redshirt freshman. Guy didn't play last year, dealt with some back injuries. He's struggling both in pass protection and in the run game. He's getting beat inside right now um, consistently, and teams are seeing that. He's got to work on that. He's got to play with better base, a better balance, and he's got to use that punch better than he's doing right now. He's not getting his hands on these defenders quick enough. He's allowing them to get their hands on him. There, there was a dude for uh, Ball State. I forget his name. It was Hunter, maybe last, his last name was Hunter, maybe something like that. But number eight, their defensive end, that dude was really good. I mean, he might be like an FBS caliber player. And he gave not just Ernest, really all across our offensive line, but Ernest and Amarius Smith, both, both of our tackles, gave them issues all day long. Now, he was quicker and sliding inside, using that quickness against them. But you know, we've got to be able to handle that. They're going to face quick edge rushers. We cannot allow that to happen. That cannot be an excuse. 
Xavier Trust really struggles when he gets into space and having to block guys at the second level. He's having to block guys coming from depth. We've talked about that a couple of times. He continues to struggle there. He's just probably the least athletic guy on the offensive line. Uh, Tate is doing a solid job, but he's he's not getting a ton of consistent movement. I can say the same thing for Cedric Van Pran. Marius Mims is playing fairly well out there. He's doing great in pass pro, but the very first play of the game, if I remember correctly, against Ball State, it was that dude, number eight, uh, for Ball State, who beat him inside. Like Marius just goes stood there and watched him. And it's like, what, what is going on? Like, this cannot happen. Like, where is your intensity? You are better than this. I've seen you be better than this against far greater competition. What are we doing? So I'm hopeful this is one of those things. It's a lower level competition. And yes, I do agree with the idea that these types of teams, Ball State and UT Martin, they play us differently because they have nothing to lose and they're going to be more aggressive and they're going to sell out more and they have smaller guys traditionally. So sometimes that we have trouble with that. So I understand all that. It's not gonna, it's not going to necessarily be the exact same. We get to South Carolina this week. We get to conference play. I get that, but they're going to have some quick edge rushers. We're going to see some of those guys in the future, and we got to be able to handle that. And wide receiver blocking has not been great. Getting Marcus Rosemary Jack Saint back was was great this week. He's he's an elite blocker on the perimeter force. I think Dylan Bell does a good job out there, but Arian Smith's struggling, man. C.J. Smith's young. I think he's going to be capable, but he's still trying to figure that. He's kind of tentative out there right now. Love it. I haven't seen him block a ton out there, um, but he hasn't been great when he's done it. Lad, getting him back will help because he's a guy that's done it a lot and he's a willing and aggressive blocker, but that hasn't been solid for us either. So it's really, it's all of the above. It's all these things that are combining together. It's not the same. It's not everything on every play, but it's one of these things seemingly on every single running play. And that's why we've had issues really kind of asserting ourselves on the ground against these lesser opponents. Again, I, I mentioned this on, on the uh, recap episode. The game against Ball State was the first time in was it 31 games that we have been held under 100 yards rush. You have to go all the way back to the Peach Bowl, the Peach Bowl back in 2021 against Cincinnati. That was the last time that a Georgia offense was held under 100 yards rushing. And who held us under 100 yards rushing? It wasn't Alabama. It wasn't LSU. It wasn't Ohio State. It wasn't Michigan. It was Ball State. That's not okay. Anyway, you slice it, not okay. But all right, guys, I know I spent a lot of time on that first question because that is, I mean, that was the biggest question we had. We had multiple questions along those same lines. So I really want to dive into that. I think that's more of a bigger picture question. But before we move on to the other questions, and there are a lot more, I do again want to remind you guys about our friends at MyBookie. Guys, we are hitting these parlays right now. These parlays, we're on fire right now. And we're going to have more for you this week. But to take advantage of these parlays, these winners that we're giving you each and every week, you've got to go sign up for a brand new account at MyBookie. All you new users, go to MyBookie.ag and use the promo code UGA and you get a 50% bonus on that first deposit. Again, not a math guy, but if you deposit 100 bucks, you get an extra 50 to play with. If you deposit 500 bucks, you get an extra 250 to play with. That's how it works. It's easy. It's free money, extra money to play with, and you can put that money in your pocket when you actually hit on some of these bets that we're giving you guys each and every week. So again, make sure to take advantage of this deal while you can at mybookie.ag. Use our promo code UGA to bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with MyBookie. All right, guys, we are not done with the run game theme. We have quite a few more questions here, so let's get into these. Tiffany asked, thank you, Tiffany. I know we mentioned mentioned Tiffany earlier. Thank you for that great, very kind five-star rating review. Tiffany, always appreciate you. But Tiffany asked, 
Kind of related to the question above, but do you think Dylan Bell will move to running back? He had the best run of the day yesterday. We are missing that power back with Edwards out. Roderick definitely has potential. Garrett also had a very similar question. I think there's a couple more, but definitely I remember Garrett had one as well. So thank you guys for those questions. Thank you, Tiffany. Thank you, Garrett. Thank you, everyone else who had similar questions about Dylan Bell. There were a lot of them. Yeah, I can mention a little bit on the recap episode, but I'll go into more detail here. I think if we made the move and made Dylan a full-time running back, I believe he would be the most talented back that we currently have playing games. I think Brenson Robinson is the most gifted back that we have, and that's why it's such a blow that he went out for the season. I'm still devastated by that because he was the one guy, the special player that we had in that backfield. So that's tough. But I think that Dylan can be a guy like that. He showed you, I mean, there's only three carries, but he showed vision which backs I've got to have. I never want to like fast running backs. And that's great too. That's way down my list of running back qualities. You want that. It's great. But there's many other qualities that I would favor above like just straight line speed. Vision is one of them. He's got that. He showed us that on that touchdown run and the ability to make somebody miss elusiveness. Dylan showed that on that, again, on that touchdown run, that 21 yard touchdown run that Tiffany referenced, the longest run of the day. And that was impressive, guys. He made two guys miss that play and used incredible vision to get to the edge there and to score that touchdown. I saw what I needed to see there. Now, obviously, the big question becomes, what does he do from a pass pro standpoint? He's got to learn that. And that only comes if you make the move full time. I don't know if we're willing to do that. Because again, Dylan is one of our top four-ish wide receivers on this team. It's like I said on the recap episode, it kind of depends on the development of the younger guys like CJ Smith. Uh, how does Robert Thomas come along? Can we get Lad McConkey back on the field healthy? If those things start to happen, then I think you do have more comfort in making Dylan Bell a full-time running back. And if you do that, then he starts to pick up the protections and he can play more snaps, more than just spot duty back there, you know, getting a snap here or there where you're going to hand him the football. And I also think Dylan has the size. I mean, he's a 6'1", 200-pound guy, 210-pound guy. He's a thick guy. He's got the size to hold up in pass protection. He's not like Cash Jones is going to struggle there doing those things. He's just not a big dude. So Dylan has what it takes physically to play that position. I just don't know if our coaching staff is ready to make that move yet. I think we're going to need to see more from those young receivers. We need to get Lad McConkey healthy and back on the field. If those things happen, I think the possibility certainly increases that we'll make that move. I just, I need to see that before we do. I just, I don't know, man. Kirby's not been one of those guys that makes that kind of move mid-season. We'll see. But I wouldn't say it's out of the question. I, I would be in favor of it, honestly, at this point. I think he would have more value to us at the running back position than the receiver position right now because we need something like that. We need an injection of athleticism and explosiveness at that position because we don't have anybody that can do that right now. And as I laid out earlier, that's so important to what we do offensively from an identity and schematic standpoint that we need it. We got to have it. So I think he has more value there at running back, to me, that he does at receiver right now. He's a good receiver. He's not an elite receiver. I would still say, you know, Lad Selby, obviously, he's above Dylan Bell. I would put Dominic Lovett ahead of Dylan Bell. Uh, I don't know if I would say Arian Smith right now. He's still he's working on it, but Arian could become a guy like that. I think Rara Thomas, we have a question about him later on. He's starting to show some things. He can start to come on. So I think we have more options at receiver that can kind of help mitigate that loss of Dylan Bell receiver. We don't really have those options at running back. So yes, I personally, Tyler, would be in favor of making that move, but um, I do not get paid 10 plus million dollars a year to make that decision. That is above my pay grade and uh, we're gonna have to trust the man that runs this program. We'll see. We'll see what happens. All right, sticking on the theme of running backs here, I have a question from AA. I appreciate the question, my man. Uh, AA asks, why was Del McGee sleeping during the recruitment of the 2023 running back group for Georgia? 
We had to scramble to get Roderick Robinson, and Rod is good, not great. I would agree that Rod is good, not great. Uh, we had to flip him, and there's no other top-ranked running back in Georgia's 2023 class. We all know Kendall Milton is mm-hmm. oft injured. Poor strategy and poor management by, by McGee and by Kirby. I do not disagree with that sentiment. Uh, we've talked about this a couple of times on the show. I think Del McGee has historically done a really good job of loading up our running back room but he hasn't hit on some big targets over the past couple of years. The one lone guy that he has hit on was a top target in the past couple of years was Branson Robinson. And unfortunately, that dude, that five-star guy, that guy who's supposed to be our alpha running back, he's out for this season. So that hurts. But it wouldn't hurt as much if we would have landed the other top targets in the other years around Branson Robinson. That has not happened. Branson is the lone big get in the past three to four cycles of that position. Now you can say we got Zach Evans. We did. Obviously that went, we know how that went. That went haywire. We end up pulling a scholarship offer and the idea of taking Zach Evans, this is the mismanagement part. I totally agree with you. We've talked about this several times. I'll mention it again. Taking Zach Evans, who was a known risk, he had baggage that we knew about. He had red flags that we knew about and we chose to take him over Tank Bigsby, who wanted to come to Georgia, and over Jameer Gibbs, who wanted to come to Georgia. And what are both of those guys doing right now? They're playing the NFL. They both had far better collegiate careers than Zach Evans did. And both those guys would have come to Georgia if we would have prioritized them over Zach Evans. Now, Zach Evans was the number one running back in the country. The talent was tantalizing. I get it to a degree from a talent standpoint, and Kirby is usually really, really, really good about this, like making sure you're recruiting the right kind of guys from a character standpoint. And I think the Zach Evans situation honestly probably hammered some things home for him there and not taking risk on guys like that. But there's no getting around that. That was an absolute miss. And then this class, the 2023 class, losing out on Justice Haynes, who's not really playing for Alabama right now. I mean, he played in garbage time against MTSU, didn't really play at all at least taking like legitimate snaps at running back against Texas, but he's a good back. And this guy's a legacy an hour away from campus. Now I know Gwinnett County, right? Gwinnett County, we, we all know the history there. And it's more than just Del McGee. That's just a, it's a, it's a ridiculous phenomenon. We've talked about it many times. It, it's crazy. It sucks. But that's a tough loss, man. That is a tough loss. Losing a legacy in-state guy like that to Alabama. It's a miss. You can make excuses. It is a miss. In 2021, we took a big swing at Donovan Edwards out of the state of Michigan, and we were right there. For a minute there, I thought we were going to get him. Ultimately, he ends up staying home, and you can't blame the kid. It's hard to blame Dell for that because we got really close to getting Donovan Edwards. He's a Michigan kid, but we missed on him. We missed on Will Shipley. Goes to Clemson. We took Lavoisier Carroll at running back in that class, who we then promptly turned into a DB, and then he promptly exited stage left and transfers out. So the misses have been pretty consistent over the past couple of years and that's come back to hurt us right now again it wouldn't hurt as much if Branson Robinson who has been the big get over the past couple cycles if he was healthy but he's not healthy and um, this is a situation that we are currently left in all right two more questions about the run game and then we'll move on guys Nathan asked a question about the offensive line said thoughts on the offensive line play especially Ernest Green and pass protection Ben also had a similar question I won't spend too much time on this because I did kind of outline my thoughts in that very first question. But yeah, I mean, Nathan, the offensive line play has been inconsistent. We have done well at times and everybody on the line has had moments where they look really, really good. And that's great, but you want those moments to be far more consistent and you want them to work more cohesively and have those moments all happen together at the same time. You know, that would be ideal. And I know that this line can do it. I mean, outside of Ernest Green, these are the four starters that we had in both of the college playoff games. And we won the national championship. 
and we won both those games, right? We beat, I mean, I know that Warren McClendon went down against LSU. We won the, S, the SC Championship game against LSU. Amarius Smith played heavily in that game. We're just not playing to our standard right now. I think Again, I think part of that is the the types of, of fronts that we're facing and what these teams are doing, kind of selling out. But we've, we can't use that as an excuse. We've just got to figure out a way to be better. I'm hoping that the message is sent home and we start to see that dominance that we were hoping for from the offensive line this week because we need it guys with the running back situation that we have we need the offensive line to pave the way and be the elite unit that they are supposed to be this season it has to happen all right next question here from art art asks what's your take on the wide receiver blocking from what i've seen their poor performance has been the problem art i agree uh that's been an issue for us. And now having Darnell, as I laid out earlier on the perimeter, that hurts. Arian Smith has been absolutely woeful. It's not one, it's not two. I mean, we're talking many different instances where he's just like a non-factor in the block game. He's just absolutely whiffing on guys. Has, I don't want to say he has no clue what he's doing. He knows what to do. He's just not doing it. CJ Smith um, is young and is trying. He's got the body to do it. He's just got to get more reps doing that. Again, getting Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint is huge because that guy, that's what this dude does. I mean, that that is the strength of his game. But it hasn't been great. That's hurt us in the run game. That's hurt us in our perimeter screen game, which in the RPO game, which is a big part of our run game. You know, Kirby talks about the RPO game essentially being an extension of your run game. That's what he what he's saying is we're calling these runs, but we're throwing the ball out there because we're calling RPOs that are tagged to these runs. But for those RPOs to be as effective as we need them to be, we need guys to block on the perimeter. We did really well with that last year with Darnell Washington, not doing as well with that right now. So Art, you're exactly right. That has been an issue. And I, I really appreciate the question. All right, well, let's move on to some different questions. Let's get away from the run game here. Guy has another question. I think this could be a, a big picture opening type question. So let's dig into this one. Guy says, that I think this team is very good and will be fine in the long term, but I'm at least concerned with the slow starts and some of the peculiar Bobo calls. Is this my Bobo PTSD or do you share my very slight concerns? Jay Lee also had a very similar question. So I appreciate that from both of you guys. I understand the consternation behind the slow starts. I, I get that. However, I think there's some context here. You guys know I'm a context guy. You have to factor in the new clock rules with the clock not stopping after first downs. We had two drives in the first quarter against Ball State. And we were playing a team like Ball State. What they are doing is they are deliberately trying to shorten the game. Teams are going to do that against us, guys, because they know they do not have the overall talent that we have. And trying to keep up with us in a scoring fest, that's not going to be conducive to them having a lot of success. So in those situations, what do you do? You slow the game down. You limit the number of plays run. You limit our scoring opportunities because you, by limiting the number of drives that we have. And that way, you, you slim the margins down. We might only have a chance to score four or five times. So them having to score four or five times keep up, to keep up with us as opposed to having to score seven or eight times, those are, those are different things, right? So that's what teams are going to do to us. So what does that mean for us? That means we have got to find a way to be more efficient. And it maximizes, when you get into the red zone, it maximizes those situations where you don't convert, where you don't score touchdowns in the red zone, which we were very, very good at last year, as good as anyone in the country last year. And it's certainly going to be very, very tough to overcome when you get in the red zone and you get zero points, you turn the ball over, or I don't know, you miss a field goal, a chip shot field goal like we did on that first drive. That 
that those things are maximized because you're not getting as many possessions. You know, in previous years, you might get a whole other possession or two in the game with the way the clock rules were. Now that's not happening. So when you don't take advantage of those, op- those scoring opportunities that you provide yourself, it hurts more than it previously did because you're not going to have additional opportunities to go make up for that missed opportunity. But I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if the slow starts on Bobo. I mean, in that game, in two two drives, the first drive we drove right down the field, and then we just stalled out. There was a poor decision. It was kind of a miscommunication between Carson and Marcus Rosemey Jackson on that. I was, I think it was a first down play, and that could have kind of put us behind the chains there. And then Carson tried to take off, and he found the ball out of bounds. But we still should have gotten three out of that. A chip shot field goal was set up, and the freshman kicker Woodring just missed that. And then when you the second drive, you had the, the second drive was where we had. The, the perimeter blocking issues where CJ Smith missed his block and then Arian Smith missed his block. And that would like Bobo had a touchdown drawn up, guys. If you watch the replay on that second drive, that that screen pass to Dominic Lovett, he had a touchdown drawn up. That easily could have been a touchdown if one player makes his block, Arian Smith. Arian Smith didn't make his block and that play gets blown up. You can put that on Bobo if you want. Maybe you say, well, Bobo, you should have known that Arian Smith can't block. I mean, okay, I guess, but then like, what are we going to do? We have to trust these guys at some point to run our offense, and that's our offense at this point. So that, to me, is not a Bobo thing. That's more of a Arian Smith, do your freaking job kind of thing, because Bobo called the play up. He dialed up. Remember 2020, guys? Remember all the plays that Todd Munkin dialed up that season that were scores, and we just couldn't convert. Stetson was missing guys. Dewan Mathis missing guys. And you're sitting like, oh my God. I mean, we knew Todd Munkin was great in that first that first year on the job, even though the, the results weren't necessarily there because he was dialing up the plays. We spent all season on this show telling you that. And something similar is happening right now. Bubbo's dialing up the plays. I mean, I'm not saying he's been perfect. I go back to that first game against UT Martin, and I know that run on the, was it, like the five, three-yard line, inside the five-yard line, People want to give him crap for that. That's not Bobo. That was that was Carson Beck, young quarterback in his first start, making the wrong check there. I mean, Carson's been really good. That was one of the cases where he didn't make the right decision. I think Bobo has been good. I And I know that you, people want to call me a Bobo homer or defender. I just want us to win, guys. And I've seen Mike Bobo do some really, really good things for Georgia. And going back and watching these games with a fine-tooth comb, I don't think that Bobo has really been the problem, especially in the passing game. Now, as I laid out in the run game, I would like to see us spread the field more, and I'm curious to see if Bobo is going to start doing that some more. He did that a little bit more late in the game against Ball State with some solid success, so hopefully that's a sign of things to come. But I think, you know, those the slow starts, I think there's, there's a little too much being made of that. Because again, two drives, Bobo drove us right down the field, and then we just missed the field goal, had some miscommunication issues with the offense. Marcus Rosemey Jackson making his debut this season. And then the second drive, I mean, he had a, he had a home run dialed up, and guy just didn't block. So to me personally, I think there's too much being made of that. I understand where the frustration is coming from, but I don't share that frustration. I mean, I'm frustrated that we're not scoring more points in the first half, but I don't, I'm not frustrated with Bobo. I don't think it's a Bobo thing. All right, let's go to another question here from Jake. Uh, Jake's got a good one. I, I agree with Jake here. Jake says, Ra-Ra had a really good day, in my opinion. Outside of his catches, he made several great downfield blocks. How do you see his workload increasing over the season? And that's a good point, Jake. I do think Ra-Ra showed some things in the blocking game, the perimeter blocking game, that were very positive. He's also a bigger, thicker body. I think he's going to be uh, a, a guy that can do that for us. I think he's going to be a really good receiver for us. And this is a guy that didn't practice much at all in the spring, dealing with some off-field issues and just kind of getting used to our system. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think people understand how much of a transition it is from going from the air raid to our more pro-style offensive system for a receiver. 
the air raid that Mike Leach ran, guys, is like nothing else in college football. It's very, very unique. I know there's different variations of the air raid, and every office has air raid principles built into it, including ours. Like if you run mesh, which we do, everyone does, that's an air raid principle. But Mike Leach's version of the air raid offense is very different. Like basically what the receivers are told to do in a nutshell, like in Mike Leach's version, RIP Mike Leach, legend, they're told to run to open grass. It's like backyard football. They are told to run to open grass, and they have... They do have routes that they are supposed to run, uh, or at least like there's a, a rough estimate of the kind of route that they should run. But especially when they're running four verts, which was a, which is a calling card of Mike Leach's air raid offense, and their four verts play, they are told to just get open, like just go run and get open. That's not what we do in our offense. There are checks, there are RPOs that Mike Leach was never running. There's just so many different things. We're asking them to actually block, which they never ran the football really at Mississippi State. So blocking is foreign to him. So I'm encouraged that he's doing a good job blocking. He's just a lot of things he had to pick up. And I'm starting to see some good things. And I think week two, you're right, was a really good step in the right direction for Rara. I think he's a talented guy. He led Mississippi State in receiving last year. He is a very capable receiver. It's just a matter of him growing comfortable in our system, which, which again, we're starting to see signs of that. So I'm very encouraged by that. And I'm high on what Rara can be for us. And going back to Dylan Bell, if Rara can start to develop and become a guy that our coaches trust. He's got a similar body type to Dylan Bell. I think that might give us more comfort in moving Dylan Bell to running back. Just putting that out there. I think Ra Ra is a big part of that, along with Lab McConkie getting healthy. All right, moving on here. Ben has a question about our edge play. Finally got a defensive question. Haven't had many of these because defense has been dominant through these two weeks. But Ben says, live, I couldn't tell if our edge play was better this week or if we weren't in those situations as much this week as we were last week. Or did we create that? I feel like we couldn't set the edge well for Tennessee Martin, uh, but didn't get that this week. I do agree, Ben. I think our edge play was better this week. Marvin Jones Jr. got some some snaps out there, more so than he did in the first week. Gabriel Harris, guys, got a lot of run. He was almost 30% of our defensive snaps. He was out there, and I think he did a really good job. The guy's got a hell of a motor. I think we're starting to see those guys grow up a little bit. Uh, I'm, I don't know if nervous is the right word. I'm anxious to see how they play against better competition, against SEC competition this week, because they really haven't had to do that. We know what we have in Chaz. Chaz is a really good, solid, valuable piece that's just not a game changer. I think Marvin Jones Jr. has the potential to grow into, develop into a game changer. He's not there yet. I think Gabe Harris has the potential to, to maybe do that as well. And I don't want to rule out Darius Smith, but all the edge players did a much better job. I'll throw CJ Madden in there as well, Michael Williams, Jamal Walthour. They did a much better job, not just of setting the edge, but playing discipline. Tyrion Ingram Dawkins not being out there kind of helped in that regard because he was just playing like a man out of control in that first game. I mean, he's I think he's a talented player. I really like TID. I mean, he, he can play, but he just doesn't always play within our system. And he was just running like wildly out of control in that first game as UT Martin. Gave up the edge a couple of times. Our linebackers like Pop and UT Martin also uh, we're guilty of that at times. It wasn't just the edge players, but I mean, of course, it's primarily edge players. But I did think they played better against Ball State, and that's encouraging going into this game against South Carolina. I will say South Carolina, just, they can't run the football right now, man. Like they, they cannot run the football. North Carolina, that North Carolina defense held them to negative rushing yards. Negative rushing yards. So I don't know if South Carolina is the team that's going to exploit that, but it will certainly be more of a challenge just from a a personnel standpoint. All right, we got another defensive question here. You guys are after my heart here. Let me some hardcore defensive football talk. And Carter asks, is CJ Allen getting so many reps due to our competition or will he really cut into 
Jamon Dumas Johnson's reps? Very fair question. I can tell you this. Our coaches are extraordinarily high on CJ Allen, not just his athleticism and his physical profile. Certainly they like that as well, but they are very high on what's going on above the shoulders for for CJ. This guy gets it. He understands our defense at a level for a young guy that we just don't see. Like almost like Nicobe Dean level stuff, which is that that's a very high praise. Nicobe was a savant when it came to our defensive scheme. He is going to continue to play. Now, will he continue to eat into Jamon Dumas Johnson's reps more when we play higher-level competition? I'm dubious of that. I'm skeptical. We'll see. I mean, we've we've laid out ad nauseum like our thoughts on Pop Dumas Johnson. You guys know I think he's a really good football player. I, I think the, the athletic ceiling is not quite there with him, but his leadership, his experience, all that's very, very valuable. I think C.J. Smith is a better athlete. I think he has more physical upside than Pop does, but the, the leadership and the knowledge standpoint, experience standpoint, all that really does matter. But man, it's just so hard to keep a guy like C.J. Allen off the field. I think once Raylan Wilson gets back, I mean, he he played quite a few snaps. So I think 16 snaps in his debut coming off that uh, the hyperextended knee. I think the world of Raylan Wilson as well. I mean, physically, I think he's probably the best linebacker that we have. He's just, I don't know if he's as, as, is as, van, as advanced as C.J. is in terms of understanding our scheme. But the more comfortable that he gets with a system. I think Raylan is going to be really hard to keep off the field too. But I mean, Smile's so good. Smile's going to be on the field a lot. I think when we rotate, I mean, I think Pop's going to be off the field more than Smile Munden is. Smile, I mean, we know that anyway because the third down stuff. I mean, Smile stays on the field in third down situations and Pop just generally does not, depending on the down and distance and the situation, the opponent, but generally does not. So we know he's going to play more anyway. But I think C.J. Allen is going to eat into Pop's snaps. I do. Pop's going to continue to start all year. I don't see that changing. That's a leadership kind of thing. But C.J. played more snaps than any one of our linebackers on Saturday. Now, he was playing more in the the garbage time late in the game. Pop wasn't playing those situations, so that kind of skewed things. But at the end of the game, he had more snaps than any one of our other inside linebackers. So that should probably tell you a little bit of something there. All right, guys, we got a couple more questions I do want to get to, but first, I want to remind you about our great friends at Alumni Hall. It's the third home game in a row. We're all excited for this one, the conference opener. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be amazing. Some of you who might not have made it into town for the first two games, I get it. They're baby seals, cupcake games. I get it. So maybe you're making your first trip into town for a game this year. So make sure to stop by Alumni Hall when you do and get your 2023 George Game Day gear. They have all the best Georgia gear you're going to find, guys. And they also have stuff that you're not going to find anywhere else. They have all the hits, but they also have the uh, the deep cuts. They have the vintage stuff that I love. They've got every brand you could want. They've got great women's selection, guys. Really, a better women's selection than anyone can ever possibly claim to have that sells Georgia gear. Trust me on that. They have so many different brands, so many different options. Your wives and you ladies out there, you're going to love it. So stop in when you come into town, or if you're in the Athens area, stop in today, or if you're not coming to town, it's all good. You can also go to alumnihall.com where they have the same great gear for you to peruse on your own in the comfort of your own home. But make sure to check them out, guys, because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. All right, a couple more questions to get through today, guys. We got a question from Jamie here. Jamie is a longtime listener. Always appreciate you, Jamie. Good to hear from you, man. And Jamie asks, it seems like we may have something to be worried about with the field goal unit. What are your thoughts? It's too early to tell for me, Jamie, but I cannot sit here with a straight face and tell you that I'm confident in it. I'm not freaking out. I'm not losing my mind. I'm not biting my fingernails over it, but I'm also kind of in wait and see mode. Like, 
it could be good, could be bad. I don't know. Yes, Woodring missed that chip shot field goal, and that can happen, man. I mean, it can happen against Ball State, and you're still going to beat them. But, I mean, against better teams, that kind of thing cannot happen. You you hope that it's just a freshman thing where you kind of get that out of your system, and you're good to go. He did make the field goal late in the game, but he did also hit the upright on an extra point in that first game against UT Martin. It went in, but don't want to see that. But here's the good thing. If Woodring does struggle, and I'm not saying that he will. I hope that he's fine. He's a really highly recruited kicker, and he's on scholarship, guys. I mean, he was a scholarship guy out of high school. That doesn't always happen. But if he struggles, then we have Jared Zirkel, who's also a scholarship guy who got a scholarship coming out of high school and stuck around and waited his turn. He got beat out. He's doing the kickoffs now. He's not doing the field goal kicking. But he's a guy that could also step in if Woodring kind of falters. And we've seen that before, Kirby Rodrigo was not the guy in 2016 off the bat, but it was William Ham, right? Top of my head. But he wasn't great, and Rodrigo gets his shot, and he takes advantage of it. And then 2017, the Notre Dame game, we all know, the great story gets the scholarship there, and uh, the rest is history, right? So maybe that happens in Zirkle. I hope it doesn't come to that, because I, I hope that Woodring is good. I don't care who it is. I just want guys to make kicks, because that can cost you a game, man. Like special teams, it's so critical. We don't talk about it enough, and it's you guys know how important that is. Some of these tight games come down to a kicker. Like we know that firsthand from the Peach Bowl. If Ohio State's kicker makes that kick, we don't go to that championship. We don't win. It's over, right? We all go home crying, our heads in our hands on New Year's. It sucks, but they missed that. You can win and lose games. You can win and lose national championships based on your kickers. So yeah, I mean. It's something that needs to be okay. I just I don't I don't know how to feel about it right now. I I recognize that it hasn't been perfect, but I'm not at freakout point yet. Maybe we'll get there. I hope not, but it certainly uh, it remains to be seen. It's TBD right now. All right, next up we got a question from All CFB. Our guy Sam. You know we appreciate you, Sam. Uh, Sam asks, who is the best candidate to fill in for Javon Bullard while he is out? Great question. Important question. First off, I'm just going to say, I hope that Javon is not out. I hope that we don't have to have an answer to this question. I think it's a stretch to think he'll play if it is an ankle sprain, as Kirby has said it is. And Kirby, you know, his Monday press conference said that he well, he didn't know. Like He didn't see him on Sunday. He knew he wasn't going to practice on Monday. He'll have more information on Wednesday. I would lean towards him probably not playing if it's an ankle sprain, depending on the severity. I mean, guys, Kirby said, we've had guys with similar injuries who have played I just, you just don't know. Different guys react to these things differently. I know Javon's a, is a gamer. He's a fighter. If he can be out there at all, he will be out there. But if he's not, I kind I mean, David Daniel was the one that went out there first. I kind of feel more comfortable with Dan Jackson. Although, I mean, I recognize David Daniel is a better overall athlete. Although Dan, as we've said many times, is a really good athlete in his own right. And I think that he's kind of an underrated athlete. I just, I, Dan's experience, man, he's got starting experience already. And you're talking about, an SEC opener. I know it's at home. I know South Carolina hasn't looked especially great, but this is a rivalry game, especially for them. They see us as their biggest rival in the SEC. Trust me on that. And they're going to come out fiery, man. Like it's the two-time defending national champion. Like what do they have to lose? They're going to come out here with a nothing to lose mentality and they're going to throw the kitchen sink at us and they're going to come out and give us their best shot. It's going to happen. And, you know, a guy like David Daniel would be making his first career start at that position I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm just more comfortable with Dan. I, mean, I think Daniel's going to be a good player. I just, I don't know. I don't. I, I think I'd feel more comfortable with Dan. And Kirby generally tends in the situations to opt for the experience. I mean, go back to Stetson, right? I know quarterback's a different animal, but he announced Carson Beck as the number two quarterback 
prior to the 2021 season, our number one quarterback goes down. What does he do? Oh, he bypasses the guy he named the number two quarterback in favor of Stetson Bennett. Why? Because Stetson had starting experience, even though Carson's probably more physically gifted, right? I could see something similar happening here. And I would be okay with that because I just, I love Dan's experience. But I trust our coaches. They see these guys in practice and uh, they know what's going on. All right, the next couple questions, guys. Our last four questions all are looking forward to either next week, like this coming week against South Carolina or down the road for in, uh, against future opponents. So we got a question from Dwayne. Dwayne asked, does USC or Auburn have the defense to expose our struggling run game? And by USC, I know he means University of South Carolina. Do they have the defense to expose our struggling run game? I mean, are their defenses better than Ball State? I would say so, right? Ball State held us 99 yards rushing. So if Ball State could do that, it stands to reason that South Carolina and Auburn could probably have similar success if we don't figure some things out and change some things. So yeah, it's it's a concern. Uh, I don't think they're either one has great rush defenses, but again, Ball State held us very much in check to the lowest out, out, output from a run game in more than two years and we didn't have much success since UT Martin either that's an FCS program guys a good FCS program but an FCS program nonetheless so yeah I mean I don't think those are elite SEC defenses but if UT Martin and especially Ball State could have some success slowing down our run game why can't South Carolina Auburn with their SEC personnel you know just putting that out there all right Ty's got a question what is your biggest concern heading into the South Carolina game I don't know if I have any significant concerns. I think we're just overall better than they are. To me, it's kind of a big picture thing. It's like, who are we? I know that we're good. I don't know how good we are yet because it's so hard to tell against the kind of opponents that we've played and the way that we approach these games against those types of opponents. I just don't know how good we are yet because like we haven't we've tried to get the ball into Dom Lovett's hands some a little bit to Brock, but like we haven't force fed our our best playmakers the way that we're going to against better competition like South Carolina this week. So I want to see what that looks like. I guess if I had to be more specific. The run game, yeah, obviously I mean, I've laid that out. We spent a lot, we spent 20 minutes earlier talking about that. That is a concern. If we cannot run the football against SEC opponents, is our offense equipped to go out there and throw the ball 40 plus times win a football game? Because historically it has not been. I mean, how many times have we thrown the ball 40 plus times and actually come out winning football games? Not a lot under Kirby Smart. Not a lot. So if we are forced to do that, I I don't know, man. It might get a little iffy. So I, I think the run game is, is certainly a question. And I would also say South Carolina, I... We'll talk about this a little bit more on the preview episode later this week. Spencer Rattler has been good so far this year. And my my whole thing with him all offseason, really his entire career, is inconsistency. I know it's a small sample size, only two games. But through two games, he's been good for South Carolina. So if he is good for them against us and they get Juice Wells back to go along with Xavier Leggett, who has come out of nowhere to be a really good receiver for them this year, that could cause some issues for our pass defense. We know, guys, our pass defense last year especially was not great. Um, It was fine. It just wasn't up to the standard of every other part of our defense. And with a young cornerback in Dalen Everett, and if Javon Buller's not back there at safety, that there's going to be, they're going to test. They're going to test our secondary in a way that we haven't been tested yet. And I, I, I think we'll be fine. I think we have the talent back there. But we haven't seen that yet with this Georgia secondary. So they played well so far. Malachi Starks is playing out of his freaking mind right now. I'm really confident Kamari Laster, Tyke Smith's been a really high level, but Tyke hasn't really been challenged vertically down the field, which I think is probably what could give him the most trouble. 
So they're going to challenge us, and they're going to do some things that we're going to have to have some answers for. And that's uh, if you're looking at a matchup between the Georgia defense and the South Carolina offense, that's probably the one I'm, I'm watching closest. That's the one that gives me the most concern, although I wouldn't say it's like a crazy concern. It's just the one I'm most concerned about. All right, next up, Stacy has a similar question. Definitely appreciate Stacy. Stacy asks, after two weeks, who are you most concerned about matchup-wise? So this is just looking down the road, I'm assuming, at all of our different opponents. I'm telling y'all, Ole Miss is going to give us more trouble than people think. I think they're going to be a trickier team. I think Jackson Dart's playing a really high level right now. We know they can do in the run game. They do some things schematically offensively that no one else that we play does. And we don't play Ole Miss consistently, so we don't have to game plan for them. We don't have that muscle memory playing against that specific offense. Now, Kirby coached with Lane, but the, the offense they're running at Ole Miss is different than the offense they're running at Bama. There's some similarities, but they're running the ball far more with their quarterback than they did when he was at Alabama. So it's a different kind of offense, different kind of scheme. And it's just different, man. It's different. They do a really, really good job with their run schemes and they they, they run their pass constraints off of what they do on the ground. Conventional wisdom would probably say Tennessee. If you think about the past defense issues that we had last year, although it's a different year, different guys back in the secondary. And you think about Tennessee's success throwing the football under Josh Heupel to this point. But Tennessee has struggled, man, to throw the football early this year. Joe Milton is what I told you Joe Milton was going to be. Tennessee fans didn't want to listen. They didn't want to listen. That's why they were one-star bombing us when I was just trying to speak the truth, man. Respectfully, trying to speak the truth to them. But now they know. Now they know. They get it, right? Because they started booing Joe Milton at home against Austin P. when it just wasn't pretty, man. He's just, he's he's a guy with a glorious arm. I mean, God, it's beautiful, right? But it doesn't matter if you can't actually hit anybody, which has always been the problem with Joe Milton. It doesn't matter if you put the ball into harm's way, which has always been the problem with Joe Milton. It doesn't matter if you can't consistently make reads, even though Tennessee's offense is scaled down to the point, simplified, that quarterbacks don't really have to make all that many reads, but it's still too many reads for Joe Milton to make. So I am not frightened by Tennessee's pass game this year. I'm not, I wasn't frightened by it last year, but it doesn't pose the same threat they did last year. I know the game's in Knoxville, so it's a little bit of a different animal. But Joe Milton, so Joe Milton. So I'm I'm not, man. Like it's gonna be a tough game, but it doesn't doesn't scare me. I think Kentucky could be interesting. I'm glad that we get them at home. I think they have the defense. Like if we can't figure some things out in the ground game, like they could shut down our run game. If they can shut down our run game, they can shut down our pass. Like they have good players on defense. Guys, let's not forget that game. We didn't score much against them last year. I know it was in Lexington, but the way like all, most of these times that we play tennis, we play Kentucky. These games are pretty close, closer than most of the other games. I know it was a 30-13 a couple years ago, that 2021 season, but that was a tight game for most of that game because we are very similar in how these teams are constructed. We just have better players. Like they built their team. The identity of that team is very similar to what our identity is. We want to play good, hard, physical, dominant defense. We want to have a strong run game and work play action shots off that. They do the exact same thing we do. I mean, it's not the exact same scheme, but the identity, the concept is this is very, very similar. We just have better players. But when you're playing almost a carbon copy of yourself schematically and from like a, an approach standpoint and a philosophical standpoint, you know, those games tend to have tighter margins. And I do think Kentucky, if we cannot run the football, they can make it tough for us to score. I don't know if they can score enough against us. They're not really hitting on all cylinders offensively right now, but I still think they have some really good pieces. I think Devin Leary is a good quarterback. I think they have some good receivers. I, I think that's a game that, I mean, no one's expecting it to be a tough game right now, but you guys know I'm pretty high on Kentucky coming into the year. I think we should absolutely win that game, especially at home. But, I mean, they, they give us a fight, man. They give us a fight every year. And with the issues that we're having running the football right now, 
that's that's a that's a game to at least pay a little bit more attention to than maybe you were in the preseason. But I guess if I had to pick one, I guess I would still say Tennessee just because it's in Knoxville and that's going to be an incredibly insane environment. So I guess I would lean there. I mean, Ole Miss, if, if, if we were playing in Oxford, I'd probably say Ole Miss. But getting that game at home certainly helps. But Ole Miss, schematically, is going to pose some issues because they, they do to everyone, and we just aren't used to having to play that scheme. All right, guys, finally, last question here. We're going to end on a fun one. Uh, Johnny has a good question for us. Love this one. Where does South Carolina rank on your hate list? Great question, man. I hate everybody, right? I mean, I do. Every All these other SEC teams, I, well... I dislike them. I don't like any other SEC team. I guess there's some teams that I hate less. Um, there's some teams I don't necessarily hate. I just don't like. But there are several teams that I outright hate. You guys know after last year, I mean, Tennessee for a long time has been at the top of my list. And that was kind of reiterated for all of us last year. And Charlie and I both made that pretty clear how we felt about that fan base and that team. But South Carolina has always been one of those teams that's been really high up there for me too. Probably number three for me. I would go Tennessee, Florida, and then South Carolina. I do hate South Carolina more than Auburn. I mean, I I hate Auburn, sure. I don't, it's not a burning hatred for them. And South Carolina is not burning, but it's closer to it than Auburn is for me. And it's really just based on the experiences that I've had in Columbia. When they were good under Spurrier, especially that was at 2012 and they just blew us out. Those people have never been good in the history of their lives. They know it. And when they had that brief period of success under Spurrier, they had no clue how to handle it because they had never experienced it. And they lost their ever loving minds and they were awful. I expect frat guys and college kids to be awful. That's just who they are. It's in their nature. That just happens everywhere. Every fan base has them. We have them too. It's, it's, that's just what they do. But when you have like grown men and grown women, by the way, doing and saying the things that they were doing and saying um, in those years when we would go to Columbia, because we didn't have, there's a couple years we lost some games there. We, we lost in 2010, we lost in 12, we lost in 14. Those years sucked because, you know, I mean, South Carolina, they they want, they want don't beat us very often. They, when they do, they want to let you know it. So I hate that, but more than anything, I hate them because they, it's kind of like, it's like, it's kind of like a tech hatred, right? It's that they are not on our level. They are not. And that's just facts, guys. Historically, just, just facts. These are facts. They have a losing record historically. Their program does under 500 historically. They have never won an SEC title. They've never done it. Never in the history of the program. They've won one conference title in the history of the program. There was an ACC title way back when for, for a long time, they hadn't won a bowl game. So it's, it's crazy. They're not on our level, but when they had those couple years in our Spurrier and they wanted to act like they were, it's like, no, 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 no. You do not get to act that way. No, you do not. And I know how entitled that sounds. I know what it sounds like, but I, I mean it. I mean, they are not on our level. And we should honestly, there's certain teams that I think we should never lose to. We should never lose Georgia Tech ever, 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 ever should we ever lose Georgia Tech in football. It should never happen. Never. We should never lose South Carolina in football. Should never happen. We should never lose to Vanderbilt in football. That should never, ever happen. Honestly, we should never lose Kentucky in football. That should never, ever happen. We should never lose Missouri in football. That should never, ever happen. The only teams in the East I think it's acceptable to lose to, honestly, are Tennessee and Florida because historically they have that that pedigree. Now, Florida, really, I guess their pedigree comes from Spurrier on. They were a nothing program, kind of like South Carolina prior to Spurrier. But hey, they, they've had, uh, they had a prolonged period of success. Those losses are acceptable. 
The other one, I don't like losing those teams, but they're acceptable. Other teams, not acceptable for us to lose to. We're, we are, our program has so many more built-in advantages. We are on a different level, different plane those programs. And I know crazy things happen. It's it's college football, but we should never lose those teams. We should also never lose to Mississippi State. We should honestly never lose to Arkansas. We really shouldn't lose to Ole Miss either. Now, Bama, acceptable. LSU, acceptable. A&M with their talent level, acceptable. Auburn, acceptable-ish. That's a, a proud college football program. But the other teams in the league, we should never lose to them. We should never. And so when a team like South Carolina has a little bit of success against us for a couple of years and gets a couple of wins, not just a, a couple of a wins on their belt, and then they act like they are on the level of Georgia, it eats at me. I don't like it. So yeah, I know. Entitled, arrogant. I, I know. I know. I know. I know how that sounds. But I'm just trying to be honest with you guys. That's how I feel. So yep, there you go. I would say um, South Carolina is probably number three for me behind Tennessee and then Florida. But I don't know, maybe Tech? Is Tech number three? No, Tech's just so irrelevant. I mean, South Carolina's not super relevant to me, but they're more relevant than Tech right now. So I think it can fluctuate based on, like, if Tech beat us in any given year, Tech, like, catapults to the top, at least for a year until we put them back in their place. But yeah, I would say South Carolina number three right now. Yeah, we'll go with that. All right, guys, that's all I got for you today. I'm gonna get out of here. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to get this video for you guys. I'm trying to work on it. I've got things charted. I just gotta go back and record it and figure out how I wanna structure it. So I'm working on it. I'm working on it. No promises. Try and get that out to you guys. But thank you for being here, guys. I always appreciate you. Thank you for everyone who sent in questions. If I did not get to your specific question, I apologize. I tried to get into as many of them as I possibly could. We're over an hour here now. But uh, yeah, thanks for being here, guys. I will be back later this week with our first official game preview episode of the 2023 season. I love doing those episodes. I'm excited about this one. And then Charlie will be back with me at the end of the week for our week three picks of the week. So a lot of great content left for you guys this week. So make sure to keep on coming back for more. But I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.